Hello everyone, this is Riyad, your host for today's episode. One is not born, but rather becomes a woman. No biological, psychological or economic fate determines the figure that the human female presents in society. It is civilization as a whole that determines this creature. Simone de Beauvoir is a feminist icon, an existentialist writer and philosopher, known for her relationship with Sartre and her book, the second sex, considered the feminist movement's Bible. She was born on January 9, 1908, as the eldest daughter in a family that was struggling with finances due to losses after World War I. As a child, de Beauvoir was raised Catholic and considered herself very religious, to the extent that she wanted to become a nun. But she soon became atheist after a faith crisis hit her. During her school years, she made a close friend called Zaza, who prematurely died after suffering from her arranged marriage. Her story sparked de Beauvoir's interest in gender inequality, fueling her rage against female oppression. In 1926, de Beauvoir started studying philosophy at Sorbonne University and got the second highest score on the Agrégation exam, an extremely hard and competitive exam in philosophy. She was the youngest person to ever pass the exam at that time. The highest score was actually earned by Jean-Paul Sartre, one of the most brilliant French philosophers. Impressed by de Beauvoir's intellectual achievements, Sartre asked to be introduced to her. Soon enough, their entanglement became romantic, but unconventional. Beauvoir rejected his proposal, telling him not to be silly. Their relationship is characterized by its openness and combined intellect. We have, she said once, pioneered our own relationship, its freedom, intimacy, and frankness. By 1931, Beauvoir became a teacher at a secondary school in Marseille. That didn't last long as she was accused of seducing young female students and was suspended due to sexual harassment complaints filed by students. In 1943, she finally found her path as a writer, as she published her very first book, She Came to Stay, which is a fictionalized account of her relationship with Sartre and the relationships they have entertained with outside lovers. Later, she published The Blood of Others, which is considered, even now, a central piece of World War II fiction, tackling concepts such as freedom and resistance at the heart of existentialist philosophy. She also shifts her focus to writing essays like The Ethics of Ambiguity, that closes with a statement on human freedom. We are absolutely free today if we choose to will our existence in its finiteness, a finiteness which is open on the infinite, and a call to action to this end. After a while, she published The Second Sex, a revolutionary work considered a pillar for the feminist movement, going in full detail about the treatment of women throughout history. The basis of Vauvoir's arguments is that women are defined culturally, so there isn't any natural or universal characteristic that defines women, which restrains her freedom. Men are regarded as essential subjects and complete beings, while women are inessentials, objects, and incomplete beings. So, the woman is labeled as 
the other, which means that her humanity has been taken away from her. She examines how women are regarded throughout history, attesting that history is only a reflection of beliefs and preconceptions. Beauvoir hopes to debunk the persistent myth of the eternal feminine by showing that it arose from the male discomfort with the fact of his own birth. The women of today, she wrote, are in a fair way to dethrone the myth of femininity. They are beginning to affirm their independence in concrete ways, but they do not easily succeed in living completely the life of a human being. She recognized all the hardships a woman might face in order to become a woman. She also recognized that what's important is to never give up and to keep trying until one reaches that level. She saw feminism as only the step forward in achieving social justice and nowhere near the end goal. In order for a woman to get through transcendence and subjectivity, they must go to work, pursue and participate in intellectual activities, strive to transform society into a more socialist society, seeking economic justice as a key factor in liberation. In justifications, she continued tackling issues of breaking free from femininity and sacrificing the sense of security felt when undertaking the unfulfilling roles of wife and mother. She insists on the economic underpinnings of freedom, claiming that working allows women to be autonomous and liberated. Throughout her life, Beauvoir has been a great voice for women around the world, heading committees, delivering speeches, and signing manifestos. In the 1970 book, The Coming of Age, she argues that older women had one advantage. Old age is better for women than for men, she told an interviewer in 1974. First of all, they have less fear to fall, since their lives are more mediocre than those of most men. And then they still have their homes, their housework, cooking, their children, all the feminine culture. On the 14th of April, 1986, Beauvoir died from pneumonia. Her grave was placed under that of her beloved Sartre, and people didn't like that. They have expressed their anger and echoed what the writer and feminist Elizabeth Badinter had said earlier, woman, you owe her everything. Simone de Beauvoir will always be remembered as one of the eminent existentialist philosophers of her time, inspiring the women's liberation movement. Years later, her ideas are still widely shared and appreciated. She is still considered an inspiration, and her book, The Second Sex, is still being dissected today in order to understand women's nature and the potential of a more real liberation. She was honored for producing some of the most provocative and brilliant books in the feminist movement. She was applauded by highly regarded profiles like Jacques Chirac, who was prime minister at that time, and said, Simone de Beauvoir's death stresses the end of an era. Her committed literature was representative of certain movements of ideas that at one time had an impact on our society. Her unquestionable talent made her a writer who deserves her place in French literature. In the name of the government, I salute her memory and respect. An authentic heroine. Please join me in welcoming our guest for today's episode, Vivian Young. Vivian is a current graduation year student in a German secondary school. Her involvement in politics and philosophy stems mainly from her stay abroad as a junior ambassador in the U.S., 
with an FUIC, she is one of the earlier members of the international department and has occupied herself with themes like feminism and social justice in her work. Hi, Vivian. It's such a pleasure having you on this podcast. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me, Julianne. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so, Vivian, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and how you became interested in feminism? So, I'm a German high school senior, as you said before, and um, I can't really pinpoint the exact moment I became interested in feminism, I would say. It's just kind of been a learning process, like, throughout my life. Looking back, I made a lot of actions or said a lot of things that weren't very feminist of me or... Um, Yeah, that I now regret looking back. And I think what drew me into feminism was just, um, I think during the pandemic as well, I spent a lot of time online and I spent a lot of time reading and looking at different resources. Um, and I kind of saw how a lot of people became trapped in these bubbles and how a lot of like ideologies were floating around. And I thought more about political processes and a little bit, a little bit about uh, philosophy as well. And that way I kind of then lit down the slippery road of feminism and since then um yeah I've kind of been involved trying mm -hmm. to educate myself yeah that's great so um I'm also really curious like what works or projects are you involved in or were you involved in regarding feminism or gender inequality um so in Germany there's this thing called the um, youth policy days it's once a year and it's basically this opportunity for a lot of young people in Germany um, to talk to some political leaders. So it, it was all online this year. Usually we would go to Berlin and we're working in these um, workshops kind of, and everyone has a topic they're engaging with. And um, the topic I engaged with was um, sexuality and mm -hmm. uh, gender equality in Germany. And um, so in this workshop, you basically draft a document or um, a plan for the government or which they later get and see what young people want to do um, in wow. these areas and that was very very interesting and just generally I'd say in class and outside of it within FYC too I've written some yeah I'd say feminist articles yeah yeah that's amazing um so in your opinion where does the Beauvoir stand in feminist philosophy um so first of all she's an existentialist so mm -hmm. what this means for me or how, how I try to Translated is kind of that existence comes before essence, or that's how I learned it. So um, your existence or your freedom and everything that comes with it is first, and then slowly throughout your life, um, you define yourself or you you learn about yourself and you see what goals you have and how you behave. So you're not from your birth. It's not defined that you're going to be a lawyer or something. It's not determined. Um, and so in that, she kind of says or her most favorite quote, uh, famous quote, as you've said before, is um, you're, you're made a woman, so you're not born one. And I say within feminism, so it's special about her too. She, she doesn't deny those biological differences um, with whom men and women are born. So she has that dualism. She says they're different and she's more mm -hmm. concerned about their relationships or how they grow up and how women have this imminent role as a birth giver, as a woman or as somebody's spouse or wife and how they can kind of transcend beyond it. So I think yeah. in that sense, she was very 
revolutionary, especially for her time. Like she was in an open relationship as well. And yeah, very inspiring. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, head. absolutely. <laughs> and um, you've read The Second Sex. So can you tell us like about, I don't know, like key takeaways or how did that book make you feel? I'd say uh, for me personally, so I read it um, around the time. I read a lot of philosophic works and um, another one I read was um, from Aristotle at the time. And so when I had philosophy class, we learned a lot about Aristotle. We learned a lot about his work and I thought he was really interesting. I agreed with some things and not some others. And what he said in some points is kind of similar to what de Beauvoir said, but in, in a different way. So he says um, the way like the master and the slave are related is the same that men and women are related. So women can't really think they're subordinate. There's this hierarchy mm -hmm. kind of going on. And um, so this kind of shocked me and uh, threw over everything I knew about philosophy because it kind of felt like there wasn't a space for women anymore. And then at the same time, I kind of, kind of came across the second sex and um, De Beauvoir's work. And when what especially resonated with me was a way of explaining how women are perceived as the other or how they mm -hmm. are always, um, they are defined in relation to others. Um, and that very personally resonated with me um, because I know a lot of people or I have personally who call themselves somebody's friend or a woman who call themselves somebody's friend, somebody's wife, somebody's spouse, but um, you don't really grow up um, relating to yourself or defining yourself as a person beyond what others see in you, so. Yeah, like personally, yeah. Personally, I haven't read The Second Sex, but like I read a lot of articles about De Beauvoir, about Sartre, and also what struck me a lot is this idea of the other. So I think it's, yeah, it's really important that um, you pointed this out. Uh, yeah. Did you experience it as a child? I'm, I'm really interested in this because I've heard people say it before. Um, did you feel that you were always defined as somebody's daughter, a friend or sister and only realized it growing up or have you not had that experience? I've heard both sides. I feel like I did have this like identity crisis where I was like, who am I? And I feel like at that moment, a lot of questions, like I had a lot of questions about myself and I feel like me like working and finding my own passion helped me also like find my own identity and kind of re realize that I'm not defined as someone's daughter and I'm defined as myself, but that takes a lot of courage and time and a lot of effort. Yeah. I mean, also there's yeah. gender roles as well. Like as a child, don't play, you'll get your yeah. dress dirty or uh, sit down, you're being bossy and stuff. It's just these things that you don't realize are being kind of pushed onto you until you get older. Yeah, for sure. Did you, did you have that experience? I mean, I'm, I've always been a bit of a loud child, I'd say. Mm -hmm. So maybe that was part of it. I always said if I were a boy, my personality would be so fitting. Um, but yeah, it's kind of been coming to terms with that, that um, people wanted me to be more calm and polite. And I didn't really understand why for a long time until I realized that it might have been a gender thing or that my loudness or bossiness just wasn't perceived the same way as other people's or as men. No, for sure. Yeah, I think that's that's super important. Like, even nowadays, it's still, it's still happening a lot. 
Um, do you think we've made, like, how much progress do you think we've made so far in bridging this gender gap? I mean, from um, De Beauvoir's time, which was around, like, 1920s, 1930s, I'd, I'd say a lot. <laughs> so 1920s was also, 1920, 1990 was uh, also the time in Germany where women's suffrage happened. And I can only speak for it from a German perspective, because I know that in a lot of countries, it's still so very different. But since then, I'd say regarding laws that grant rights and freedom so for example inheritance was a big thing so that women couldn't really inherit anything at the time we're not allowed i think it was around the time that changed or women couldn't work in germany without the um kind of without a man saying it's okay that you do it whether it be her father or her husband and that was until the 50s or 60s um and i say in in terms of like politics and legislation, uh, legislative issues and everything. I, I think we've come a long way, but in terms of the social context, I would say we still have a long way to go, especially with all these stereotypes we still have. And um, a lot of what we see in society is defined by these traditions or these norms that we have. And also a lot of religious beliefs and um, education and the education you see in school is not very feminist at all. It, I've read, I always say I've read one book from a woman in, or two, well, two, but one was kind of voluntary. My teacher made us read it. But there's like mm -hmm. one of the curriculum you have to read from a woman and that's Anne Frank's diary. And so I, I always think that's a bit shocking and just generally how little is known about female sexuality and stuff. And I think if we had more of that as well, we'd get even farther. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like a lot of people are so like reluctant to talk about like female sexuality just because, you know, it's like a taboo topic or just like a lot of stigma around it. Although it's like really important, especially like to address the questions that young girls have because it's their own identity and they deserve to know a lot about their bodies. Yeah, I'm curious to know, like, what is your stance on today's feminist culture and what do you think the Beauvoir would say about it? So I think there isn't that like one type of feminism, but we haven't had it in like De Beauvoir's time and I don't think we have it today. So there's uh, a lot of other uh, feminist philosophers around her time who, for example, or later on who tried to deny, for example, biological differences or so there's this debate going on, for example, about biology and social standing and everything. But I think um, what we're seeing today, um, so we have this difference between feminism in its original meaning and kind of feminism, what people think it should be or kind of a, a misguided conception, I think, or kind of straying from what it originally was to, supposed to be. But just speaking of about feminism in its like original meaning of trying to empower and uh, empower women and bring about equality, um, De Beauvoir really thought that responsibility was a very, very big thing when it kind of came, came to transcending those gender roles and or this idea of motherhood being your only purpose. And I think, you know, in a sense, she'd be really proud of modern day feminists, both men and women. So she emphasized that both men and women had to work on it um, or those who work to um, take on the responsibility and try mm -hmm. to break through the gender norms or stereotypes themselves. Um, but I think she'd say there's, there's still a lot to go. And what I personally um, would be interested in seeing is how she reacts to um, Black feminism 
or um, transgender feminism because her her idea of feminism or the feminism she ha um, acted on was very white middle class and I don't think black feminism is not in accordance to her views but it just wasn't talked about so I, I'm interested yeah I think that would be really interesting too and in your opinion how did her relationship with Sartre influence her work on feminism because obviously she was in an open relationship um and I'm also curious about like how your own relationships like in your life impact your actions I'm not sure to, how to pronounce his name. I know a lot of American people say <laughs> Sartre and then like, and don't leave out the R.E. I've heard people call him Sartre, so I'm just going to do that. But um, yeah, I think they both gave each other a lot. So she had, she had a lot of ideas before meeting him as well. A lot of thoughts and like freedom and love and relationships, a lot of like reciprocity in relationships, how that's supposed to work. But he was an object of a way uh, of a work and a lot of stuff. So I've heard interviews of her where she calls herself a writer, not a philosopher. So she, and a lot of things she wrote were actually like fictional depictions of her and her relationship with Sartre or um, other love relationships. And I think just having that person who's both like her intellectual and sexual partner while still having the autonomy to go out and explore her own sexuality. Um, I think it gave her a lot both intellectually and academically because she she tried to live up to her own expectation of transcending the role as a mother and a wife and I'd say without a partner like Sartre who both um like inspired her academically intellectual uh, intellectually um and who was also like this loving partner to her she wouldn't have had the chance to voice as many of her ideas or she she wouldn't even have had many ideas because they inspired each other a lot I can say how much of de Beauvoir is Sartre and how much about uh, of Sartre is de Beauvoir, but there's a lot of um, exchange going on. But I think it's sad in a way that she's often defined through her relationship with Sartre. So of course she had an open relationship, it's very inspiring, but I think she's more than how many sexual partners she's had or um, that she was kind of in love with this uh, amazing philosopher as well. Um, I'd say for the second question about me personally. So this is also a quick shout out to the person who helped me pre prepare for this because I'm a big person on discourse. I also like um, talking to people. And I think um, that my own personal relationships and how I relate to feminism. Um, so I, I also need to have somebody to have this discourse with for this session and this engagement. I don't say that I'm Devoir or I have a person who's Sartre. I have any similar exchange going on, but I think that just, <laughs> I'm sorry, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, just I can hear having, Yeah, just um, having this discourse is really, really important. I don't know, how do you, how do you, um, do you have a lot of friends who are interested in philosophy and talk to you about it? Yeah, that's the thing, I had like this one friend who was really interested in like consciousness and that was kind of like psychology, but it kind of made me really interested in like asking these big questions. And that's how I decided that, yeah, I was really interested in that. And I started like to watch a lot of YouTube videos and podcasts. And that's how I was kind of like interested in philosophy. And yeah, I guess I did, did not have lots of friends who were interested per se, mm -hmm. but I also engaged in like the World Youth Alliance um, mm -hmm. and that made me even more interested in like human rights philosophy. Mm -hmm. 
And then after I was really interested in human rights and I was interested in philosophy and I was interested in politics. And that's how I wanted to do like these special episodes. <laughs> I see. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, great. Yeah. And, and, you know, talking about ideas, um, what do you think is the best way to share and connect ideas? Is it via laws and protests or books and discussions? So I'd say books and discussions like come first. And then once you have that done, you can move on to making laws and protesting. So I, I think I'm still like at the start of educating myself on a lot of stuff. So like you've said about yourself, you move from human rights to po philosophy to politics. It's just this. I feel like once you start reading about this stuff, you fall down this rabbit hole because you have to reach so far back. When I want to read something about Marx, I, I see, oh, my God, I have to read Ricardo you know, and have to read Parento and have to read Smith because he built on all these ideas. And if I want to read them, I have to move back and back and back. And um, so I think educating and books and discourse is something you should always be doing to, first of all, understand the ideas people had before you and then come up with new ideas. And then once you have formulated something or have come to or found a common ground or understood basically what you're talking about and what your goals are and if everybody can agree with those goals, then, then you can move on to doing protests to draw attention to them or making laws that change the way um, society perceives these things. And I think one of the problems we have today is actually that a lot of laws and protests are just ideology being portrayed and that the first step of educating yourself and having that discourse with other people who disagree with you and just facing that disagreement, facing the opposite opinion and seeing um, whether the opposite opinion has some truth you can add to yours, um, that that is missing. And that is why a lot of laws are kind of regressing, as I, as I think. So, for example, the abortion, abortion laws in the U.S. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel like this is kind of the exchange of ideas and we need to look at it as an exchange of ideas and not as a conflict. And we're going to discover that there are more, you know, like common points uh, or like there are more commonalities than points of like disagreement mm -hmm. so yeah and how or like what role do you think politics play in the feminist movement and how did it like change over time and yeah um so to cycle back to what i earlier said said i think that a lot of in germany at least in terms of laws and granting rights and freedom is done so back then it was done, they, they've done it, they've um, changed the laws, they, they've changed um, what's being said. I mean, they're still working on it. They're still working on, for example, um, advertising abortions, as it is called. It's still prohibited in Germany, so to say you allow abortions or abortions can be done in your clinic. They just want to abolish that law. But I think um, the role of politics has become less national and has moved on to more of an international background. So other countries or women around the world concerning with what other women in other countries are doing and also how feminism relates to these international relations. And um, so globalization, because the ones who are always at like the worst off end are mostly women, women from um, areas who are also uh, less well off financially education-wise, so I think it's also a class struggle in that sense. And then again, um, politics in a more of local or communal sense where these stereotypes 
Yeah, yeah, amazing. And just to wrap this up, um, how can the young people specifically be involved in the battle for women's rights? I'd say just read a lot, read up mm -hmm. on it. Don't listen to everything your parents tell you. Don't listen to everything your teachers tell you. Or maybe like question what everyone is telling you. Um, mm -hmm. And then just make up your own mind and especially talk to others who disagree with you. Yes. Thank you so, so, so much. Um, it was such an amazing conversation. Um, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs>